unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my Welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. I know we have uh, several that may be joining us on social media. We welcome you as well. Isn't it wonderful to see all these smiling faces on Mother's Day today? And we have a special alignment that is going to be leading us in our worship service today. Brother Gibson Foster will be leading us in singing. Brother Braden Hannah will have our opening prayer. Brother Lewis Holloway, the scripture reading. The Lord's Supper will be directed by Brother Ben Barrett. Brother Ken Forrest will have the lesson today. And Brother Aaron Foster will have our announcements and closing prayer. Would you bow with me as we begin? Our loving Heavenly Father, you have blessed us and you continue to bless us and we're so thankful that we can assemble today to worship thee. We pray that all we do would be pleasing in your sight, that our worship would be acceptable to thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First off, I wanted to say Happy Mother's Day to everybody, especially that one right there. She's the best one out of all y'all. That's just my opinion, though. I don't know for sure. But uh, mainly, I'm thankful for the opportunity to do this and uh, lead worship with y'all. But I am going to need help today. I am a little hoarse, so please sing out with me. I'm going to start off with 537, Here We Are But Straying Pilgrims. I'll be singing the first and the last verse of this song.
Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our family and friends. We ask you to please be with those who are sick, Father. And we thank you for letting us all be able to come here this morning to worship you, Father. And most of all, thank you for letting your Son, Jesus, die on the cross for our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
As I travel through this pilgrim, and there is a friend who walks with me. from Titus 2, verses 4 and 5. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at the home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Good morning to everyone. And I'm... I'm with Gibson this morning. I want to wish all of our mothers a happy Mother's Day. I hope you're being specially treated, and many of you have family with you, and I know that for you that's just a a high honor, a great delight. If you're not able to see your mother, I hope you can get on the phone and call her. And if she has passed from this life, then I hope that today will just be a day of reflection and just so much gratitude for a mother who influenced your life and made possible your coming into this world. I also noticed that we had a trend this morning, and that is all of our young men leading our worship. And I am especially flattered that I was selected to be a part of that esteemed group of young men, and I am just going to cherish that 
position that I'm able to be in today. We're really glad that you're here. And today, yeah, it's Mother's Day. It's special, and I hope it is gratifying to you if you are a mother. But it's also the Lord's Day. And in that, we honor and glorify our God and Father. But it is interesting, I think, that many of the attributes that God puts on display are not only very fatherly, but they are also motherly. And we see in our mothers some tremendous attributes that are the very same attributes of our God in heaven. So today, I'm going to talk a little bit from the text that was read for us a moment ago, Titus chapter 2. We looked at verses 4 and 5. I would just go ahead and give you a heads up that in verse 1, this is a part of what Paul considered to be a speech relative to sound doctrine. And that sound doctrine was being shared with two very special parts of the group that made up the Lord's church that Timothy would be addressing, the older men, and then for our text, that which he considered sound doctrine to be taught by the older women who were responsible to admonish the young women. You get the idea that Paul's intention here is to be certain that every generation has an instructor, has someone who is vested with the responsibility of sharing important doctrines to be handed down from generation to generation. I trust that all of us have been beneficiaries of that, that we have had a special woman, whether it was truly a physical blood relative mother or whether it was someone who stood in the place of mother for us, but there was someone who instilled in you sound doctrine. Today we're going to reflect on that and look at some of the things that God considers to be the ideal, the thing that our women especially ought to be aspiring to. Before we start, let's pray that God will bless us in this endeavor in our study of his word. Please, please bow with me. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of this day and for this time now that we can be together in worship to meditate upon your word. I pray, Father, that it will be effective in all of us. Today is special in that we think about our mothers, a day that's been dedicated to their attention and to their memory. And Father, I pray that as we give attention or as we remember our mothers today, that not only will we be thankful for what they gave us, but what they represented. And that is very much you in our lives. Thank you for how you were brought to life for us and our mothers. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Part of her husband safely trusts her so that he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. 
She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She stretches out her hands to the distaff. Her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now, that section of scripture from Proverbs chapter 31 is commonly thought of as God's description of the ideal woman. She is a faithful wife to her husband. She is a faithful and nurturing mother to her children and and everyone who makes contact with her household. She is a tribute not only to how she was raised, but she is a tribute to the God within whom she has been connected. The life that she's chosen to live in service to him and service to her family and her community. It's interesting to me that the Jews had a, it's a sweet little saying, albeit a little bit inaccurate, that says that God couldn't be everywhere, so he made mothers. Probably as you grew up in home, maybe, maybe you thought much the same. That here was a person that God had brought into your life that touched every aspect of your life. And that all through the years of your upbringing, she was there to provide care when you were injured and encouragement even when you felt like you failed. Sometimes a great deal of heartbreak and bleeding sorrow. A child maybe who's grown to their maturity who thinks more highly of themselves now, feels like they've cut the strings to a mother who doted over them she may feel rejected, even deserted. So it's true with God too. God's provided the wherewithal for our lives. He is that great nurturer. He is that great encourager, the provider for our lives. And yet so many times, just like a faithful mother, he can be rejected He can be left behind. Does God break his ties with us when that's true? The answer is no. 
In Isaiah 49 and verse 15, God asks, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not remember the child of her womb? He said, Surely they, the mother, they may forget, yet I will not forget. As much as a mother will always be there for her child, no matter what comes. Still, the possibility, the outside, the norm possibility is that a human mother, under some circumstances, may get to the place where they can't remember the child that was so close to them. God says that may be true, but that will never, ever be true of me. Now, as God has instructed us in every aspect of our lives of what is necessary for us to be close to him. So God has also given instruction here in this text into what is sound doctrine relative to the work, the life of a young woman, a mother. And I can't help but see that in those attributes that God expresses for our physical relationship, so too are those attributes so important in our relationship with God. So today, I just, by extension, want us to examine those points that are given here in Titus chapter 2 and to find their application in the lives of our women. That is, God's expectation of them in a life of faithfulness to a husband and children. Mother... Thank you for attending to our needs. And maybe we don't voice these needs, but God has identified those things that he counts as most important. The thing that was to be handed down from generation to generation. This text says that the older women were going to teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. When you break that down, there's some really interesting nuggets there. For instance, he says that the the mother, the the woman, is to love her husband. I, I tend, and maybe you do too, I tend, when I look at the scriptures and there is instruction given related to love, I often think about that love that really sets us apart, that agape love that unselfish, giving kind of love, and even instructions in relation to the marriage relationship. I I tend to think, well, now affection is a given thing, and so uh, more often than not, I'm expecting that when the instruction comes, it it just has to do with uh, caring for that other person, making sure that their needs are met, and and so forth. But actually, in this text, the word agape is not used. It's the word phileo, that word that has to do with tender affections. He says for the younger women that they are to love to have affection for their husbands. I thought thought that was pretty strange, right? Why would you have to tell a wife to have affection for her husband? And yet I think about the society and the time in which we live. I don't know when I first noticed it, but it's become more and more pronounced. 
used to be that a lot of the sitcoms that were on television revolved around a central figure, and that was the father. You remember titles like Father Knows Best? That was all revolving around the, the male figure as the leader in that family relationship. And everybody respected dad. But have you noticed sitcoms today? It's like dad is always the focus of the joke. It's like dad doesn't know how to do anything right. And it's mother or one of the kids that's always coming to his aid, always trying to fix the mess that he has made. That is not the image that the scriptures give in terms of a healthy family relationship. And in fact, I'm afraid, maybe as it was happening in the first century, so it continues even today, that the minimizing of the place of the father in the home has become so great that he's counted as practically no value at all. It wouldn't be surprising then, as Paul was looking over the situation that existed, especially in some of these Gentile churches, that maybe the father... The father was not as highly esteemed and respected as God intended for him to be. It just seems amazing to me that a woman would have to be encouraged to have affection. Not just care for him, but have affection for her own husband. Now when I think of what God expected in the marriage relationship, boy, it set such a high standard. In Ephesians chapter 5 beginning at verse 22, it says... Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes the ch- her just as the church. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I love how this thing unfolds, because we tend to think naturally about a reciprocation of love in this. But did you notice that the main focus of love and the direction of it was from the husband to the wife? Or from the church to Christ, or from Christ to the church. And so the, the, the male figure in that relationship is showing the care and the concern for the wife figure. At the end, he sums it up. And I think this is the great application. That the husband is to love his wife and that the wife is to show respect for her husband. Not just that, okay, I'm in this relationship, I'm going to do my duty, I'm going to meet my responsibility. But it's more than that. I'm going, to, I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to put him in the place of value as God has seen fit. To me, that is the ultimate expression of 
affection, not, not just, a, not just a, a learned or committed attempt to do the right thing, but actually to have emotion, a feeling toward the spouse. And, and by the way, who wouldn't love a husband in that way who so loves and treats his own spouse? So love your husband. Oh, okay, here we go. Love your children. Now, surely, surely, everybody would assume you have affection for your children, right? And so this must be that agape word, the one that has to do with caring for and so forth. But actually, it isn't in this place either. He uses the same word he did with the husband. To have affection. Again, when I read that, I'm kind of shocked. I don't know about you. I would assume, especially a mother, would have feelings of affection, not just responsibility, I'm going to care for them, but actual feelings of affection for the children. But understanding that many of these churches actually were coming out of idolatrous situations. They had at one time, maybe not very long ago, worshipped idols. So they've only recently turned to the true and living God and learning principles that maybe had never been introduced to them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3, there's an interesting word that's found there you don't find anywhere else. It's astorgos. That's the storge love. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, I'll tell you that the word storge has to do with the affection, the feeling of, of oneness and connection that we have in a family. Well, astorgos actually reflects the negative of that. He said that there were people in that time who had the, the reverse relationship. Naturally, I would think there is love for a child. He says these people are without natural affection. And so to the mothers, he's saying, look, I, I want you to genuinely have affection for your children. If that doesn't exist, then that's got to develop in you. And by the way, children, whether or not you say one word to them, children can discern by the way you look at them, by the way you handle them, just by your general demeanor whether or not you really care about them. For mothers, at the very top of the list, be sure that you have affection for your husband and for your children. And, and then he says to be discreet. Sometimes when we hear the word discreet, we think, well, just kind of do things in secret, you know, kind of along the... But that's not really what this word is trying to reflect. To be discreet literally means, in this context, to be of self-control, to have control over yourself. Now, what kind of things would I need control over? Maybe I need control over my thoughts. I mean, clearly, no one knows what's going on in our heads, so we need to be the first to, to take control of the things that are running through our minds. That would be true. Or we need to take control of our behavior. Be certain that the way we act toward other people is right. Or maybe the hardest thing to do of all, to be in control of our words. You know, it used to be 
this idea of discreet would be, okay, I'm going to, you know, have my little circle of friends that I confide in. I'll tell something to two or three people. And you know what you always say, now don't tell anybody. Because if you do that, it's not gossip, right? But so I'm going to work with this little circle of friends. And you know what? If it was gossip, maybe one of your friends slips something to somebody. And before you know it, that circle of three or four friends has now grown to 10 people who know about it. And you are horrified. But today, we have this thing called social media. Have you heard of it? Now, social media is this phenomenon where I don't just have three or four close friends. I might have, well, seven, eight hundred friends, three thousand friends. You say, these are, these are my people. You may not even know most of these people. They may be friends of your friends of your friends. Nevertheless, instead of having a circle of three people, now you have a circle of 3,000 people. And on that one fateful day, when you are irritated and you just want to tell somebody the way it really is, you type in those select five or six words that change everything. Because no longer has that three gone to ten. That 3,000 has gone to 10,000 to a million. Let's make a relation here. It's, it's this old problem with the tongue, with communication, isn't it? To be discreet means to be in self-control. And I'm thinking the hardest thing to control is that tongue, the communication. In James chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, it says that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. For with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be so, my brethren. Wow. Older women teaching the younger, be discreet, be self-controlled, and be chaste. Another word for chaste would be pure display an air of purity. Be a pure person. And yet again, here we are in an age where there is on display constantly anything but that. And emphasis is put on the outward person as opposed to what's going on on the inside. In fact, multitudes of jokes have been made about choosing a worthy spouse based on what's on the inside instead of what is on the outside. How is it that God feels about that, and especially in these relationships? Well, actually, Peter addresses that in 1 Peter chapter 3. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. 
Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. What is it that God counts as precious? It isn't our physicality. Now, you may be a physically attractive person, and you may hold on to that attraction for a long time, but eventually our body begins to fail, sometimes out of circumstances beyond our control. But on the inside, our spirit should continue to flourish and grow and become more and more beautiful as the years continue to pass. God says the thing that matters to me most is what's on the inside and not what's on the outside. He also puts emphasis on the idea of being a homemaker. And I've often looked at that and I thought, well, now when people read this, they probably are thinking, oh, she's the nurturer of the home. And that's true, she is. But actually, this word is to be interpreted more in a literal sort of way. The homemaker in the sense that she is the organizer and the care person over the place where the home lives. You know, where we assemble as a family, whether that's in a house or a tent, mother is to be responsible for the goings-on in that place. Several years ago, I got a terrible lesson about this. So I went to this gospel meeting and a man by the name of James Watkins was doing the preaching and he was telling us about where he lived. He referred to his home place where he and his wife Foy lived as paradise. And by the way, years later, we went to their home and no joke, there was this big gate and then over the top of it was a sign that said paradise. He said it was called paradise because his wife made it a paradise. Oh, And so with that, he goes on and he mentioned this text and he says, she is to be the homemaker. And what that means is this. He said, men, my wife, Foy, if she comes in one day and she says, now I'm going to take this railroad spike and I'm going to drive it in the middle of the living room here and then I'm going to run colored streamers to every corner of this room. If she comes in and says that and I'm going to say, Foy, you are the queen of this home. You just go ahead and do whatever you like. I thought, sure. And then I was on the way home. Anita says, Did you hear what James Watkins said? I said, yeah, you mean that ridiculous deal about a spike in the middle of the room and the streamers and all that? No, about that part where she's the queen of the home, the homemaker. Yes. She said, I want to paint the bedroom yellow. I said, no, we're not painting. The whole house was one color, right? You know, that kind of that beige color that matches everything. I'm like, we're not... If James Watkins were my husband, he would let <laughs> Let's go get some paint, right? Homemaker. Not just that she is a loving, doting mother, but that she literally and actually is in charge of the care and the things that go on in the home. 
She's also described as, as good. You remember that part, verse 26 of Proverbs 31, where it says that she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. You know, there are all kinds of women in the world. But a mother, a mother is one who is going to set, going to set kind of a, an environment in the home that's going to be conducive to the proper bringing up of those children. She's going to set an example that those children are going to follow. Now, I've heard lots of parents in frustration say, I wonder why my kid acts that way or why my kid talks that way or why, why, why. And at the root of a lot of it has to do with what they've seen, what they've seen in the home. It isn't always a result of what you have done or what you've taught them, but maybe it's the result of what you haven't taught them or haven't addressed with them. A mother's intention in that home is to be, to be good. Romans 12 verse 2 says not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You, you and your action in that home are proving for those children what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that wife is to be submissive to her own husband. And I like the way the text says her own husband. Not somebody else's husband. Her own husband. They are in a relationship where God has ordained very specific roles to be played. They are equals, but they have roles to play. I say equals because I, I carry you back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter three or chapter two and verse 18. At that text, you have woman being created and God's intention for her is that she's to be a helper comparable to him. And you've heard probably the old illustration that she wasn't made from his head that he might have a domain over her to, to oversee her in, in a dominant sort of way or, or to be feet uh, from her feet so that he could trample over her, but from, from his side, right? So that they could be equals walking this life together. That, that's the idea. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 11 and verse 3, we also see a kind of a, a hierarchical estimation of things. For instance, we learn in that text that the head of man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. There's a lot of equality described in those relationships, even between Christ and God. But there are roles that are to be played and recognized. And in this text, the idea is for the wife to submit to fall under the purview of, of her husband. Not just any man, but her husband. That's what we read, wasn't it, from Ephesians 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. In the same way that I would submit myself to the Lord, that, that same recognition of position, so I would do in the marriage relationship. 
And then he takes it a step further and he says, the reason that we would do all these things, these, these matters of sound doctrine, the reason that we would do them is so that the word of God is not blasphemed. Now, again, I find that, that notion itself unusual because, wait a minute, how am I blaspheming the word of God by not living up to these standards that he's laid out here? How do I blaspheme God when I don't love my husband and love my children? That is, have affection for them. Maybe they're tyrants. You know, I just, I just don't get it. Or, or how is it that I'm blaspheming when I don't have the right display? You know, I don't have the right heart about me. Or, or I'm not a good person in my home. Maybe I just lose it once in a while. I'm not in control. How is it I blaspheme God's word? And the idea is, look, God has called me to be this as, a, as his child. And so if I'm not living according to the expectation of God, then, then I am, in effect, blaspheming or bringing into question the very statement of God. I'm not fulfilling God's best in me. Jesus said it for all of us, not just for the women in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify, not blaspheme. You see the connection? Glorify your Father in heaven. I'm just going to thank you, mothers, for attending to our needs this way. And then I also want to thank you for sympathizing with our hurts already mentioned it, I'm going to bring it out again, that mother is the queen of the home. And when she is in that home, that place that she has organized and made suitable for her husband and her children whom she loves, when she is there as queen, there is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Many of those attributes reflect what we noted as sound doctrine a moment ago. But did you notice those are also the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5 verse 22? So here is a woman in her home who just by the very nature of her relationship with her husband and her children are embodying the very best attributes of God. Many a man went out into the world looking for great success, but it didn't really come. And when he was finally beaten up for his efforts, lost most of his friends, maybe even his family, and his faith nearly gone, and entangled in sin. Feels as though he's come to the end. Where does he go? Many of those men go right back home. Go right back to their mother. 
You ask someone who is incarcerated, who's been there for a while, what is the greatest regret? And sure, it may be that they will regret the crime that resulted in them being incarcerated. But more often than not, if not first, quick after that would be the disappointment that they brought to their own mother. Why is that true? Because mother is the one who thought the best in us, who tried to bring out the best in us. And even when we stumbled, she's the one who always held out hope that things would get better. And so there also is God. God is known in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. When life chews us up and spits us out, where do we go? Many of us look to God as a tower. So when that storm is raging in our lives, when we feel nearly defeated, we want to run to God because He is our refuge and our strength. And we find a period of solace and encouragement, peace. We're able to rejuvenate and we get our strength back and our confidence returns. But so many, even in that transformation, begin to feel self-assured again and they'll leave that tower. They'll leave God behind. They'll venture out again on their own until the next storm arrives. Don't be like that. Be like that dutiful son or daughter who remembers the mother who instilled in them these great principles that we've considered here today and who always thinks the best, who's always looking for the bright future. Remember our God who gives attention to his children that even if a mother would forget, he never will. In the Christian home, the mother is the emotional spark plug. As she goes, so goes the rest of the household. That's a huge responsibility that's laid upon our mothers. But you read through the scriptures, even some of those gray characters at the root, certainly at the beginning of their quest to do all that God had told them to do, was a dutiful, loving mother. That certainly was true of Moses, who became the great deliverer of the children of Israel. It was his mother, Jochebed, who cared for him as a child and raised him to know his people, a knowledge that would carry him through the most difficult of times. Samuel, who was the last of the great judges, his appointment to his positions came at great cost on the part of Hannah, who prayed for a child and dedicated him to God's service. And as we would note from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul said, you know what, I bring to remembrance the genuineness of your faith, but Timothy, I first remember the faith of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm convinced, I'm pretty sure, I'm persuaded that that same faith is in you. 
How about you? The faith that you have has been nurtured by someone who has served as a mother in your life. May not have been your birth mother, but someone has been there to promote the goodness that you are today. Be certain that you live out your life in such a way as to reflect that. A woman who took her direction from God himself. Maybe you're not a child of God today. Today can afford you all of that love and peace that the attributes of God displays in a mother can be at your disposal today in your obedience to the gospel, forgiveness for sins. So if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're ready to confess that faith, to turn away from sin and repentance, today you can be buried in water and have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. You'll rise in newness of life and you'll have a new family and we'll love you and offer encouragement and peace to you. If there's anybody today who needs to respond for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing.
anyone does not have the Lord's Supper emblem, please raise your hand and it will be brought to you. As we prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper, I'll be reading Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let us pray. Dear God, as we take of this bread, please help us to remember how it represents the body of Jesus and how he died on the cross for us. In Christ's name, amen. Let us pray. Dear God, as we take of this cup, please help, it to mem- please help us to remember how it represents the blood of Jesus which was shed for us on the cross for the remission of our sins. In Christ's name, amen. This concludes the Lord's Supper. We are reminded to give as we have received. There are multiple ways to give, including online and a check. We have a few announcements as we uh, close this morning. First off, of course, we want to say Happy Mother's Day to everybody. So, so glad to get to see so many people, so many mothers, and we're so thankful that you're here. We had um, it was reported this morning there was 131 at the early service, and then I was given a number of 201 here uh, in our service this this morning at the 10:30 service. We also, if you'll notice on your bulletin, there are so many people that need your prayers and need us to support them this week. So uh, please, please remember all of those that are on the prayer list. I won't go through those names, but I hope you'll grab your bulletin and make sure you take that home so you can serve these individuals and pray for them. Also need to make sure that we announce the senior, uh, what we typically kind of call the senior Sunday, which is next, which is next week. And it's a little bit different because uh, the seniors will be here at the 8.30 service. They'll be here at the 10.30 service. But in between, they'll be down in the annex. So they'll have tables set up. And so we'll hope all of you will come between 9.30 and 10.30 during those times. If you come to the 8.30, then just go down there and, and, and see them and support them. If you're coming to the 10.30 service, get here early so you can go down there and greet them. They're going to be here all morning, so they don't need to stay here till 12, okay, uh, after that service. So please remember that next week, and let's support our seniors. Uh, and then in conjunction with that, there'll be a senior uh, kind of a Sunday night youth family fellowship and Guy and Brandon wanted me to announce that SALT Team 3, SALT Team 3 will be supporting that. Uh, they'll be bringing the food for that event. And so they will be giving out more instructions. If you're a part of SALT Team 3, they'll be giving more instructions uh, later this week on how you can support that. If you're a part of the Golden Circle, FHU Associates, there's several gospel meetings. Please look at those announcements. But the, the last one I want to make is I walked in the door this morning. 
And boy, Rick Warner had the biggest smile on his face. And I thought it's because he saw me, but it wasn't just because he saw me. He said that he was a great granddaddy. And Becca and Bonnie are, I think, great. Becca, you hear me? You are a great aunt. And I know y'all are so proud. Uh, Charles Allen was born last Friday, and everybody is doing well. So if you see the big smile on Rick's face, you know why, and you can tell him congratulations. All right. If there's any other announcements, please get with Miss Jimmy. She'll make sure we get those out. And if you don't mind, as we close, if you'll bow your heads, I'll lead us in a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, now that we have finished this service, of course, our prayers that everything was done to your glory. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for moments like this that we can glorify you and worship you. Father, now we ask you to be with us as we leave this place. Watch over us. Take care of us. And Father, we want to close by honoring our mothers this morning and thanking you so much for them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.